episode of Wizards After Dark, and I have to say, I've, uh, I've been particularly excited to this one because I've been annoying Andrew about coming on here for a little while. And I've finally done it. I'm Fred Katz. I'm the host of Wizards After Dark, and I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I scream into microphones about the Wizards constantly. And I just scream into the general air about the Wizards all the time, too. And the person who I'm having on is just... I, I feel like your aura at this point, your your brand is screaming about the words <laughs> from uh, from Sports Illustrated and uh, from the Open Floor Podcast, Andrew Sharp. What's up, man? I was going to say, welcome to my world. I've been screaming about the Wizards for like 25 years now, so it's good to have another member of a club that can't possibly have more than like 20 to 25 people in it, but you're one of them now. <laughs> Can would you say it's accurate to say that that your your brand would be vastly different if if you were not screaming about the wizards all the time? Um yes, I would. And there are times when I look around and I'm like maybe I shouldn't have outed myself as a public wizards fan given what's happened to the team over the last 5 or 6 years. I mean like there were points during the season a couple years ago when they <laughs> They were just, like, so um, aggressively overconfident no matter what happened. And when they came out and lost to the Celtics and then were like, yeah, well, we think we could have beaten the Cavs, that was, like, a true, like, public embarrassment for me as a Wizards fan. And so it's been a complicated relationship over the years, but ultimately it's not a choice. I, I can't fight my, my love for this franchise. So I have to say, because you, you and uh, Gulliver are like mm-hmm. the dynamic duo on Open Floor, one of my favorite NBA podcasts, certainly Appreciate. one of the best. And, uh, and and the best moments are when Ben just decides to like very subtly jab you about the Wizards without actually doing it. Like he knows how to hit all of the right buttons. Well, and it's funny because I honestly go out of my way to not make it too Wizards heavy. And then every now and then Ben will just kind of like, goad me into it and once you get me talking then I can't help but just like go off the deep end for three or four minutes and so it is what it is you know it's it's part of the fun and um particularly the last year has been like as, since you've come to the area I'm sure you're familiar with the term so wizards and this past 12 months has been the most wizards timeline imaginable like it's almost like someone it's like fan fiction for the Wizards between signing Dwight, what happened with Wall, and like where we are now. It's just, um, it's been wild. What's your, um, what, when did you become a Wizards fan? What year? Oh, um, starting when I was maybe eight years old. I, I grew up, the first six or seven years of my life, I grew up in, in um, West Hartford, Connecticut, where my mom's family is from, and then we moved down to D.C. midway through my childhood, and I started going to games at U.S. Sarah Arena with my uncle, and uh, just kind of, like, fell into it that way. At the time, I mean, like most kids that age, I was a, I was a big Michael Jordan fan, and didn't really become, like, a diehard Wizards fan until... Um, probably high school, and when Gilbert Arenas arrived, he kind of, like, activated an obsession in me that I never knew was there. And um, honestly, Gilbert's, like, one of the reasons I'm into basketball journalism is because, like, his blog introduced me to the blogosphere and uh, unlocked this this whole bizarre universe that um, <laughs> I fell into and haven't left since. So it started with Gil and then... Uh, turned into this whole weird chapter, you know? So if you're a huge Gilbert Arenas fan, does that mean that you get infuriated every time Chris Ballard writes a great feature? Like um, just, just thinking, <laughs> I, want, I want those guys to mess up. That was, that, was that, that interview, which I assume if you're a big enough Wizards fan to where you listen to uh, Wizards-centric's podcast in the end of May, then, uh, then you're a big enough Wizards fan to where you saw the Gilbert Arenas Josh Hart thing from Gilbert Arenas' podcast over at Complex when he said last week, it went totally viral, that uh, to, to summarize that he, he doesn't like the culture of bench mobs nowadays because he doesn't like to see guys getting too excited about players who are playing in front of them doing well when he was on the bench. He was just rooting for all of his teammates to do horribly so he could go in the game. And 
I loved it. I just like I wonder what it would do for my work culture if like I was behind like like I'm behind like David literal hall, basketball Hall of Famer David Aldridge and I was like you know what? I'm pretty pissed that Aldridge did Aldridge stuff today. Like I just wonder <laughs> I wonder like how does that apply to other how does that even apply to the basketball profession let alone just like other professions. It is it is absolute insanity. Not that he said it that he actually thought that. I just oh man. Yeah, I was laughing so hard. I I like the idea of you sitting behind David Aldridge and being like, man, I'm really hoping he botches this kick tonight. So many, so many, so many typos. Yeah, going to open up some reps for me down the line. I'm I'm paying off my editors so that they miss like, you know, dangling modifiers in his story. Yeah, well, on a serious note with Gilbert, I, it's a complicated relationship after the Wizards because... His internet persona has been tougher to enjoy at various points. I really do think, like, his candor in talking about the game is pretty valuable. And he says some things like, like that. Like, what he's talking about with the benches, I, I understand what he means. Like, if I were a basketball player and if I were a professional athlete, I would be competitive. And I think a lot of these guys are competitive and do have kind of some complicated emotions as as it relates to their teammates' success and what that means for their own careers. Like, I get it. Um, and I just wish that he could tone down some of the more ridiculous, problematic elements of his, like, social media, media persona because uh, Gilbert, like, at his core, is still wildly entertaining and um, unlike almost anyone else we have in basketball, but then... There have been some, like, Twitter things where I'm just like, eh, that was a bad look. Like, I wish you had an editor. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, I don't have a problem that he said it. Like, as a matter of fact, like, I love it when guys who I'm covering or guys who I talk about, how often do we just hear players just spray cliches all over the place during interviews, right? Like, I I love guys who are just going to be honest and forward. Like, like Bradley Beal, for example. Bradley Beal is... um, He's not a great quote in the same – like I used to cover the Thunder. Steven Adams is a great quote and that Steven Adams is just every single time you interview Steven Adams, you will get at least one to two one-liners that you can throw on Twitter and it will get a million retweets and the entire internet will go bonkers over it because Steven Adams is just ridiculously funny and absurdly yeah. clever. And like that's what you'll get out of Steven Adams. That's not Bradley Beal's personality. Bradley Beal has a great sense of humor, but that's not his personality. The reason why Bradley Beal is a good quote is because Brad's not going out there and really, for the most part, unless you throw cliche questions at him, if you throw good questions at him, he's not going to use cliches. Like, he doesn't give you those one-liners that are good for social media, mm-hmm. but he'll give you great answers that are actually helpful for your stories and those sorts of things. That's why I enjoy interviewing Brad. And, like, you go to another player, and he might just, you know, Otto Porter, for example, doesn't really like doing media. Uh, he'll just kind of put out short cliches, and that's about it. And it can get frustrating because right. you, you want guys to be honest and feel comfortable and all that stuff. So I don't have a problem with Gilbert saying it. I just think it's a crazy thing for anyone to even think. <laughs> like, they're also, like, I think I think in basketball, we have in sports in general, we have this thing. And I blame Michael Jordan for this because I think everybody thinks in order to be a competitor, you have to be a competitor the same way Michael Jordan was a competitor. And, yeah. like, you can be really competitive and, and, and still want to, like – beat everybody, including your own teammates, and outdo everybody, and, like, still not be thinking, I want everyone to do terribly. Like, those are not mutually exclusive. Yeah, I don't know, though. I wonder whether they, like, I don't think they're mutually exclusive by any means, and I think there are probably legions of basketball players who have found <laughs> found a way to strike the balance between their own self-interest and, like, the team, but I... I bet it gets a little bit more complicated uh, more often than we think. And so I appreciate Gilbert pulling back the curtain there. You know, another guy, when you talk about quotes in the locker room, like, because basically Gilbert Arenas' problem has been that he's just a little bit too honest. And I don't know how we got onto Gilbert Arenas, but like, he can be a little bit too honest. And the other guy was Austin Rivers would just like, Basically, it would be sort of like a running dialogue of of his own thoughts, uh, completely unfiltered after these Wizards games. And um, 
that was great while it lasted. Probably not productive for team chemistry, but as a reporter and as just a Wizards fan who enjoyed the candor after some of those putrid, like, October-November games, um, Austin Rivers was A+. Look, Austin Rivers, I know, I know, like, it's no secret. Austin Rivers was not a mesh with the Wizards, and the Wizards were not a mesh with Austin Rivers. It just didn't work. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, one thing about Austin Rivers, and it's not exactly like Austin. Look, Austin doesn't care. Austin genuinely doesn't care if anybody he, likes he or doesn't. He genuinely doesn't. It's great. He genuinely doesn't care. He's just going to say what he's going to say. He's an outrageously, like, unbelievably, like, shockingly confident person. And when I say shockingly, I just mean, like, you just don't meet people like this in, in life. Like, he is just yeah. unbelievably confident in every single thing he does. And he doesn't care if people like him, and he doesn't care. Like, I bet you, if you told me to pick one guy who would be incredible on TNT after he retired, one active player – my first choice would be Austin Rivers. He would be great, yeah. Throw and him in that studio, oh, he'd be unreal. Right. He, and maybe he's a little bit too marginal as an actual player to, like, make it to that level. But I mean, look, he's he's no more marginal than Kenny Smith was. Kenny yeah. Smith isn't just isn't marginal because he's great on TV and he's part of the best studio show on television. So, he, so he's not – Kenny Smith was, like, a, a good player. Maybe he was a little better than Austin Rivers, but it's not like he was a Hall of Famer. He was just a bigger name because he, he, he had some rings and – Right. You know, if, if if Houston ended up winning a title this year, then Austin Rivers would have won a ring in the same city with a similar team and playing a not that different a role from Kenny. Yeah. Know? Well, and as the Warriors retool, that there's always a chance that Austin Rivers will end up in Golden State at some point. So, I mean, he now has weird Curry connections. Um, it's, it's all possible, and I would love to have him on TV for 45 minutes after some of these games. It'd be great. Yeah, well, so the credit to Austin is that he was like, after the games when the Wizards were just losing early and everybody was like, we're not playing hard, and there'd always be the follow-up, well, why aren't you playing hard? Like, that's the intuitive follow-up. I know that's like, sometimes the, the obvious question is the one that you have to ask. Like, why? Yeah. If I said to my editor, like, yeah, yeah, sorry, I just, I, I didn't, I only worked on that story for 40 minutes. So I just didn't try hard. And they'll, well, what were you doing? Why weren't you trying hard? Right? Like, that's just sure. the way it, it works. Uh, sometimes we overthink this in sports. And, and Austin, Austin was the, everyone else on the team was just like, I don't know. You just got to do it. How do you play harder? You just, you just, you just got to do it. Austin was the only one who was just like, no, it's that's that's BS. You don't just got to do it. Like, like why are why in the world? You're right. That is the right question. Why are you not playing hard? Like he was the only one. It who was, was just there. And well, I think internally he was not the only one. But it, it's it does like I you appreciate the honesty and the candor of somebody kind of being that fresh with you, you know. My favorite part about those post-game sessions, because again, for the first month to six weeks of the season, the Wizards were a team that was supposed to be good. So when they were losing games, it wasn't just like, oh, another game in the middle of the lost season. It was like, what the hell is happening here? Why isn't this working? Like, how do we get everyone on the same page? And so you would go around to each locker room stall and hear a different guy be like, well, we just got to... We got to guard. We got to lock in on defense, and we were we were not doing our job. It starts on the defensive end, and then you would go to Austin, and he'd be like, "Yeah, I mean, you sit here, you hear these guys all talk about defense, but like we're not guarding, we're not doing it." And so I don't know whether we don't mean it, whether and it was just great to hear him basically like call out his teammates. <laughs> 90 seconds after after they were done talking, uh, which, again, not great for long-term chemistry. It's why he got <laughs> traded. Team, but, um, the teammates didn't think it was so great. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> but it was great for our purposes, let's say. So uh, shout-out to Austin Rivers. He, and, and honestly, the year worked out great for him in the end. So it, it uh, he won. Uh, yes, he ended up in a good situation. He ended yeah. up in a, in a good basketball situation. I'm curious to see what his off season is going to be like. I like how the Wizards have the ninth pick. They still don't have a GM. Uh, when we're leading off talking about Gilbert Arenas' podcast and Austin Rivers, this is exactly why. <laughs> this is exactly why I had you on here. Yeah, here I'm we very go. Happy about that. <laughs> uh, 
Um, what are uh, so so? I was talking to somebody, you know, a bunch of agents, like over the last week or so. Uh-huh. Happens every year. A bunch of like agents put together individual, not individual workouts, but workouts for the clients who that they've already signed with these prospects, guys who are going to be drafted in in the draft in three weeks, and Octagon does it, and Excel does it, and Wasserman does it, and all these major agents, and the uh, the BDA workout. That's that's Bill Duffy, one of the major yep. NBA agents, represents. A gazillion people who anyone who listens to this podcast has heard of, uh, and so Bill Duffy did uh, did his workout in Los Angeles yesterday, and I was talking, and there were the whole league goes to these. I mean, GMs sure. and assistant GMs and VPs and directors of scouting, and it's just like every team is sending at least a few people, and some teams are sending tons of people, especially if it's there's someone there who they really want to see. Uh, but everybody's there. I mean, I think there were like. 200-something people at the Duffy workout. And when I was talking to one person who was there, that person told me, like, the, the talk here, like, number one topic is just, like, what are the Wizards doing with GM? Like, what are they doing? And I was like, well, what are people saying? It's like, nobody knows. <laughs> and it was funny because Candace tweeted out today, uh, like, just an update. You know, I, we don't know anything about the weather doing a GM and it's been eight, eight weeks or president or whatever the position is officially going to be. And it's been yeah. eight weeks. And so I just had to quote Twitter with like, I can confirm that I have nothing to confirm. Like, it's just like people, the wizards are number one, keeping stuff totally in house now, like completely in house. Uh, right. Props to them. That's a totally respectable way to run your organization. Um, number two, I wrote earlier this week that like they were just holding out for Connolly. They were really shocked when Tim Connolly said no, they were banking on Connolly, and the fact that Connolly's not there doesn't necessarily mean they horribly messed up. In the six and a half weeks they were waiting on Connolly, they could have taken those six and a half weeks to interview a number of people, cast a wide net, find a great mm-hmm. number two option. There are tons of really smart, really impressive people in the NBA. Find a really good number two option. Maybe that could have ended up being Troy Weaver. Maybe that could have ended up being Danny Ferry or even Tommy Shepard. Uh, but the sense that I get from just talking to people is that wasn't really the case. They were just kind of banking on uh, Connolly, and they didn't really have a number two. I don't. I don't know. I genuinely don't know what is going to come of this. They could still end up hiring somebody great. It's not like they have much competition anymore. All the people who could potentially be GMs uh, have pretty much signed, and they're the only open number one position in the league right now. But I, uh, I'm i just surprised with how this process has gone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's pretty surprising, um, particularly because of the messaging that we got when Grunfeld was let go finally um, back in April, I guess that was. And when, you know, there were some real, there was some strong language coming from Ted Leonsis about wanting to change the way business has been done and wanting to look inward and reflect on some of the mistakes that have been made in the past and kind of aggressively pursue a new direction. And, I guess if you wanted to be critical, I'm not, I don't have any passionate feelings one way or the other. Like people are trying to get me, try to get me wound up about this. And I'm just like, you know, like we'll see where the chips fall when they, when they do. But if you wanted to be critical about this, you could say that the wizards went about the, the GM search in a lot of the same ways they've, they've conducted their basketball business for the last five or six years, which is to just sort of, Go about this in the most superficial way possible. Search for a quick fix that will kind of alleviate public pressure, public scrutiny, and um, and not necessarily do the legwork that separates the best teams in the NBA and the best organizations in the NBA from the bottom of the NBA. And so that when you talk about like not doing their due diligence with backup plans um, beyond Tim Connolly. Like, that is a little frustrating, and who knows how much diligence they've actually done with some of these other options. Uh, But clearly, like, nothing has happened, um, which is not terribly encouraging. And 
in general, if it were another offseason, I could understand not having that sense of urgency to sort of propel the process forward. But, like, the draft is in three weeks or three and a half weeks, and then you've got this offseason where there's kind of a lot at stake for the Wizards. I mean, Bradley Beal is going to be the second most sought-after trade target in the league behind Anthony Davis, and I think that's going to become more clear over the next few weeks when the, the the Beal rumors begin to hit uh, begin to heat up, but at this point it's like it's hard to really gauge what the Wizards want because there's no one in charge as as far as we know. I mean, it's Tommy obviously, and he can take calls and everything, but like you would like to have a more uh, permanent person in place, even if they end up going with Tommy as that permanent guy, and so. I don't know. My my read on the outside is, number one, I don't know why they put so many eggs in the Tim Connolly basket because I don't think he's that impressive. He's not someone who's just, like, so clearly going to save the franchise that you just put everything on hold for a month and a half. Um, he would have been fine, and I would have been excited to have him in D.C., but, like, again, probably more of a B-plus than an A-plus if you're talking about a higher and then I am holding out conspiratorial hope that maybe they've heard something from Masai through back channels and, like, something crazy will happen in a week and, and all of this will make sense when Masai shows up in D.C. and is like, I'm ready to lead the new era of the Wizards and be here for the next 15 years. So that's crazy, and um, I will probably feel stupid about that in a, a, a couple weeks, but... Um, it, there's it, there's at least a five percent chance that 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 happens. Oh, five five percent. It, uh, it might be wow. generous. <laughs> pretty look, generous. Man, yeah, I mean, let look, me have this. Let me have this. It's been a long year. Uh, a Toronto, uh, I think he's a radio guy. I I wasn't aware of him. Went on the sports junkies and brought up Masai this week. Let's talk about Masai. Yeah, because I I wrote. I wrote a piece. Masai Ujiri, of course, runs the Raptors. The Raptors are in the NBA Finals, by the way, in case you hadn't heard. They are also located in Canada, I'm, which I'm is apparently in Toronto. Apparently, that's just every single question that people are asking. It's just yeah, just Canada-related stuff. I was thinking yesterday, like I would really love it. What what someone should do, like I'm sure Kimmel sent like Guillermo to the finals. Like, what, what Guillermo's got to do is go there and ask all the Raptors players just, like, really, really stereotypical U.S. questions. Just turn it on its <laughs> turn it on its back and start asking Kawhi if he's going to, like, eat a hamburger when they're in California. A hamburger and fries. Uh, Guillermo was at the media day today. I was not there, but apparently he was going around and offering people shots of maple syrup. Well, so, there we go. In finals, so. There we go. That, we can work with his. We we can work with him on his like American satire. Yes, there we go. So I I I honestly wasn't that far off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's kind of pathetic how how predictable some of this is. Yeah. But hey, <laughs> fun to have Guillermo in the mix. Whatever. I really wasn't. Oh, he's hilarious, but I I really was not very far off at all. Uh, and that wasn't even an impressive call. It was just a very obvious one. Um, Let's talk Masai. So I wrote a story on Sunday for the general premise. You can go on The Athletic, subscribe to The Athletic, and read it. Uh, but it was up Sunday, uh, basically talking about the stuff that I just mentioned about Plan B and, and all that. And a lot of the comments in that story were just like, well, what if they're waiting on Masai? And I know some <laughs> other reporters have done it. And uh, you know, NBC Sports Washington has written a little bit about Masai. I would be somewhere between surprised and shocked if that were to happen. Um, I just, I don't think it's going to be the case. I don't think it's going to be the case from a compensation to the Raptors perspective. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to be the case from a Maasai leaving a title team perspective, even if he's 100% certain Kawhi is going somewhere else, probably the Clippers. Uh, I are not title team, but at least an Eastern Conference final, finals team. Yeah. Eastern Conference finals winning team. Uh, I don't see it. From, I mean, I don't see it from the Raptors necessarily wanting to let him out of his deal perspective. I don't see it from a um, perspective of the Wizards 
paying what it would take to get him. I mean, Masai makes twice what Ernie Grunfeld was making. And I have not been able to lock down the numbers for what the offer was to Connolly, uh, which is why I haven't reported anything. And I won't, but I will say that I am extremely confident that it was a number that was less than what Masai makes currently, which is, I mean, that's fine. Like that, that Masai makes is one of the highest paid you know, front office heads in the NBA. So that makes perfect sense. But now you're you're basically, in order to get him out of that Toronto deal, you're basically going to have to make him one of the two or three-ish, four highest paid front office heads in the NBA. And he's already pretty close to that. Yeah. I, I don't anticipate that happening when Ernie Grunfeld was not on like a really low deal. They had him on the bottom of the league or anything like that. It was just kind of making a normal amount for an NBA GM. And I just, I don't, I don't see that jump with the way that they've budgeted things historically. Um, and I just don't, I don't see the desire from, from Masai. I, he can, he can do all of his, uh, all of his stuff with the African league and all of his stuff with uh, basketball beyond borders. Like he can do that from Toronto, a wild yeah. international city. Like he doesn't need to be, he doesn't need to be in DC in order to do that. That most of that stuff is a lot of that stuff is during the off season anyway, when he doesn't even have to be in Toronto. So, so I, I just don't, I just I don't see it. I I, I don't see it at all. Yeah, and I think any rational person looking at this has to conclude that there is again five percent is probably being generous <laughs> because when you talk about Masai. And the image that he has cultivated for himself and the impact on the game that he wants to have and continue to have through the next couple of decades, like Toronto is actually a great platform for for everything he's trying to do. And um, because I guess some of the rationale that would have him come to D.C. is that he wants to be that global ambassador for the game. But like, again, Toronto is a perfect place to do that as well, and he's already got this really successful infrastructure in place with the Raptors um, where he is taken care of, and also his whole staff and their whole department is is taken care of about as well as any team in the NBA. So for those reasons, even aside from what they have now and what they have in place with Kawhi, it does sort of seem like Everybody thinks Kawhi is gone regardless, which is crazy to think about on the verge of the NBA Finals here. But, um, but yeah, Masai is a long shot. And when I talk about, like, the sick wizards part of my brain where I'm, like, on the, the, the dark web here, like, reading Masai rumors. And there's this one guy from – is, is he from The Athletic, the, the Toronto radio guy? No, 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 he's not from The Athletic. He well, was I, I don't know. ESPN Radio? Yeah, I, I have no idea what his ties are, but he he was the guy who something came something through. Brady, right? It, it is. It's Brady. He he sort of reignited some of these theories, um, which is not healthy for me. And then there were people saying like Masai's wife has ties to the area. I have not confirmed that uh, whatsoever. She, she is like, she is from DC. His wife okay. is from DC. Well, hey, then there's a chance, okay? There's, it makes no sense on a lot of fronts, but um, the Wizards, the one thing you can say, for anybody taking over, the bar is low, and you'll have a couple years' worth of runway to pick up the pieces and build this team um, the right way and in, and in the image that whatever new GM takes over wants to cultivate, and... Uh, like that's a gift and a curse, but like you can also, you can basically be the Brooklyn Nets, which is I think what the the Wizards should be looking to do through the the next couple of years of this wall deal. And um, you know, Masai would be an awesome guy to have come in and lead that. And failing Masai, which is a complete pipe dream, then let's let's look for other people who can do that um, because that that should be the goal for the Wizards is to say all right, well, we want to come in with, like, an aggressive um, approach to the next couple of years and and find someone who's on that page. Yeah, one thing that I will say, I'm curious to get your stance on this. Okay, so so one thing that I think a lot of people are saying, and I understand the mentality behind this, mm-hmm. is that, all right, now if you're the Wizards, you got to make a big splash. 
you got to make something that's going to invigorate the fan base, you know? Um, and that's something I've, I've just heard over and over again. And I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm relatively certain I'm in the minority on this, but I, I don't – I understand that. I don't think it's like a dumb thing to say or anything like that. I just – I don't agree. I, I think, don't either. I think you lose fans and you gain fans based on either sustained happiness or sustained anger, not necessarily singular actions. Like – the reason that the Wizards have lost fans is because people are, are angry over all all of these things that have added up over the years, right? That's the reason they, they – so many Wizards fans have just kind of become apathetic over this time, right? Yeah. Um, it's not because of one move or because of one thing. It's just because of a series of things. I, I'm a big believer if you hire someone who's a big splash and a name that people know, if you bring in – and I have no indication this is it. I'm just throwing out a totally random name. Please, aggregator, stay away from this. Uh, if you bring in Joe Dumars, you know, who's just like out there and has a ring and it's like that's a huge you know, great player. That's, yeah. a, that's a huge name, right? And then Joe Dumars comes in and does a terrible job. The fans will turn on Joe Dumars in in half a second if he makes a bad move in one second. You know, like oh, yeah. like they'll turn quick. You need someone who's going to be smart and calculating and 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 helpful. If you you know like when the Nets brought in Sean Marks into what was literally quite literally one of the worst basketball rebuilding situations in the history of the NBA. Yeah, they brought in Sean Marks. Nets fans had no idea who Sean Marks was. I mean, maybe big basketball fans did because he was like, you know, a marginal bench player for a number of years. And obviously, like, people around the league did because he was a Spurs guy. And, and, and I feel like when you hire someone from the Spurs, people just kind of naturally are like, oh, you got a Spurs guy. But no one knew who Sean Marks was when they hired him. As a matter of fact, the narrative then was why did it take the Nets so long to hire somebody? Because they got rid of Billy King in, like, the beginning of January. Mm-hmm. And they hired Sean Marks. It was a month later, but it was like right before the trade deadline. So they had him coming in. I think it was like a day or two before the trade deadline. It's like, oh my goodness, now you don't have like a real person in there for the trade deadline. That was a big narrative. So a different type of situation than this, but there were kind of similarities in vibe. And they brought in Sean Marks. Now, Sean Marks is like a god to Nets fans because look at what he's done. Look at all the unbelievably intelligent and savvy things that organization has done under his watch. And he's gotten extended since and very much deservingly so. And they found all of these diamonds in the rough and they made the playoffs this year somehow without still having the first round picks that they uh, you know, one of their own first round picks which they haven't had since, you know, God knows what year, 2013 or whatever, 2014. And like it's just... Over the number of years, that's how you do it. You hire someone savvy, someone good. If you hire some genius who's a number three elsewhere now and you bring him in and he kills it, like that's the most important thing. Like I don't – I and really that, don't think the splash should even consider – count into the situation. Yeah, and, and I mean there are a couple things to respond to there. I think the Mark stuff is interesting – because some of his success can be overstated as well. There is like this cult of Sean Marks up in Brooklyn where you're just like, all right, tone it down. Like <laughs> you guys won 42 or 43 games or whatever it was this year. It's not like a dynasty overnight. But what I have appreciated about the Nets front office from afar is that they're always trying stuff. And they, they've been aggressive about trying to improve on every margin available. And, um, that is something that the Wizards have kind of left by the wayside over the past few years. And over the next few years, there's not going to be a lot of flexibility to improve at the top of the roster. So you're going to have to get creative in the margins and take on bad contracts in exchange for picks and take on, you know, guys that that teams are trying to dump and, and have them sweeten the pot with a project here and there. I think, like... That's what the Wizards should be looking to do with these next couple of years, and it, and it requires people who are willing to be aggressive and willing to think creatively, and that has not been the hallmark of the Wizards. Um, and then the other thing that you said that I, I really agree with is that no matter who they hire here, like I think some of the idea behind pursuing Connolly as hard as they did was that 
all right, we're going to go hire this star GM from the Nuggets. He has local ties, and everybody is going to be fired up as soon as he comes. And it's like, I don't think that was ever that realistic. People in D.C. have been rolling their eyes at this team for like 10 or 15 years now, ever since Gilbert Arenas left, basically. And um, even during some of the wall years, you'd look around and be like, why why don't people love this team more? And the truth is that like they didn't connect with the team because those regular seasons were pretty miserable to watch because Randy Whitman was still in charge and they just would go months at a time without actually playing their best basketball and then they would bring they would pull it together and be awesome in the playoffs and then you you'd see the Verizon Center be sold out and there'd be all this energy around the team but like the momentum was was tough to build on because um, they would then take a half step back every every regular season. And so the, the incremental progress should be the focus right now. And, um, and I completely agree that, like, no matter what they do, the Wizards, like, building up sort of faith and, and real support and real excitement around this team is going to be a years-long process not a weeks-long process as they find the right GM who is going to, like, activate some dormant wizard's passion in people. Yeah. Yeah. And and quite honestly, like, I, do fans care about a GM? Like, fans care yeah. about the actions of the GM. They care yeah. about the moves and that kind of stuff. They don't care about the, maybe the very beginning if you get someone big and that's it. But fans don't care about the GM. Like, Knicks fans didn't care when they got Phil. Like, yeah. They were they were excited they got Phil at the beginning and after that Phil you know just didn't do the work and there were just unbelievable amount of stories around the league about how he just wasn't working or doing anything but Knicks fans di- didn't after a little while and Knicks fans are smart fans but they don't they don't, they say, don't care like Knicks they cared about the moves top ten percent of of smarter basketball fans, like Blazers fans would maybe care, Knicks fans would maybe care, Lakers fans will probably care if they are stuck with Palenka for the next five years. I, th- I think he's trending toward, like, Scott Layden, Isaiah Thomas territory. Um, but D.C. is not that. <laughs> like, these are not people who have grown up living and dying with NBA basketball. So, like, it doesn't really matter who the Wizards bring in. It will barely register next to Redskins minicamp news. And so, like, focusing on how this move will be perceived is probably the wrong way to go about it regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I with do, you. I do have a, a, a question at the end here. Okay, ask me a question. What do you think happens with with Bradley Beal? You're around the team more often than I am, and I I can't get a sense for like how they actually feel about him or how they want to proceed. What do you think? Well, my my go-to answer on this is uh I I don't necessarily know what they're going to decide on Bradley Beal because I don't know who's going to be there to make the decision. <laughs> yeah, it's really tough right now. Yeah, it's like that's why honestly it's really hard to cover them right now cuz there's at the very least there's not really that much news that we know about in terms of the GM search. And then people will ask me like a totally reasonable question for 29 other teams. Like, okay, the Wizards pick at nine. Who who do they like? I'm like, there's no one there to do the liking. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, Tommy's there and they are doing their homework and they're working. And like the thing is, even if they bring somebody in before the draft, all these staffers, uh, even if they bring someone in, I should say, that's not Tommy before the draft, all these other people there, VPs, Brett Greenberg, Ed Tapscott, Frank Ross, the other scouts, uh, their analytics people, like the, just the entire front office, like they're still all going to be there. Whoever they bring in, if they bring in somebody on June 11th and the draft is June 20th, it's not like that person who they bring in is going to spend those nine days restaffing and hiring all new people in the front office. That's not how that's not how jobs work, and anyone who's had a job understands that. So like. He's going to have to go through the draft with the people who have been prepping for the draft with the Wizards right now, all the holdover people, and then whoever they bring in. And I don't think it'll be a complete clear out of the front office whenever they bring people in because there are people there who are good and, and do Yeah, it. I don't think it should be. Yeah, I don't think so either. There are people there who are really smart people and, and do a really good job. And I think uh, whoever comes in will 
will be able to identify who those people are. And and so they're going to have to move forward with those people anyway, so you can kind of get that idea there. Um, mm-hmm. But as for Beal, like that's a decision that really philosophically comes from the top. Yeah, like, and, and, and I, sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, and I'm just – I'm not totally sure. Like I, I'm not – I'm not completely sure, and it, and it kind of depends on also what kind of GM you're bringing in. Like, I don't think Ted would be thrilled about trading Beal. Like, I don't think right. that would be the case. Uh, if you bring in someone who thinks along those lines, it might not happen. Uh, if you bring in a someone who thinks like Sean Marks does, you're probably going to trade Beal. So, I just I I don't know, man. I don't it know is, what it, what it, like is there another way for me to even try to figure out that I'm not thinking of? No, no, I, I think it involves tea leaf reading on the Beal side as well in terms of what he would want to do and and how genuine he was when he said in the middle of the season I want to die in a Wizards jersey or I want to be buried in a Wizards jersey something crazy like that like. Well, I'll I tell you what, uh, with the amount of minutes Scott Brooks played him, he came damn close <laughs> yeah. to dying in a Wizards jersey. It was a possibility, no question. <laughs> so I think here's where I am with the Wiz. Is I, I really do think that this next phase is an opportunity to turn over a new leaf. And D.C. is, like, as a basketball city, D.C. ranks right up there. People like basketball. They just need the Wizards to give them a reason to – kind of galvanize around the the pro basketball team. And and I think there's that potential for whoever takes over next. Um, And the Beal side of this is interesting because all of this is going to take a while, and I don't know if it makes sense for Beal to want to wait. Um, And he's smack in the middle of his prime. And if he doesn't want to be traded now, he may want to be traded a year from now, at, at which point the Wizards will have half the leverage they currently enjoy. And so, like, I think there's there there are people out there who have said, you know, be patient. He's the best player on your team. Let's see what happens. But they are about to have a two-month window here where they could actually get, like, a really nice return for Bradley Beal, who's kind of a fringe all-NBA talent. And um, and be able to reset the new era around like uh, it, rather than kind of the Jimmy Butler poo poo platter, they can trade Bradley Beal for what the Jazz got for uh, Darren Williams like ten years ago. Now <laughs> we're we're all getting very old, but like that's what I would be looking to do is to to get out in front of this before it deteriorates and um, and try to get like who knows what the market will be exactly, but. I would hope that the Wizards look to pursue it aggressively. Um, and and I don't say that with any ill will toward Beal because he's been awesome and super professional throughout the last few years. Um, so it would, it would be tough to see him go. But it's like the, that's the only glimmer of hope as we look toward this rebuilding era here. Yeah, I mean, look, if I get it. I get it. If a fan doesn't want to see that, like I, I understand. I understand it, yeah. I understand why a fan would feel that way. Like, yes, you want your team to be good, but like, what is sports if people don't afford you the capacity to to really love the guys on your team? You know, be, to to an unreasonable degree. Like that's what sports is. Being a fan of a sports team is insane. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it is so stupid, and I, I, I'm not. Con- I'm I'm a huge Yankees fan. Like you know, I, yeah. I'm I fall. Unfortunately, I'm a Jets fan. Like I'm a fan of of teams in every sport. You, you lose it. Well, like I at least I lost it when I covered the league. I grew up a Clippers fan, like, but I just totally lost it. And like being a sports fan, and I think you just think of it differently if you lose your fandom. Like it's so stupid like I rooted for when I was a kid I was a Clippers fan and so like yeah so I was rooting for Elton Brand growing up and that means because I was rooting for Elton Brand then I also had to root for Blake Griffin like it just it just makes no sense I was rooting for a team with an owner that was a legitimately horrific human being 
yeah. just for the hell of it because I was I was so young and too stupid to even realize it because I became a fan of them at you know eight years old and you know what, how the hell was I supposed to know that at eight? Like, just none of it makes. None of it makes sense. Why do you root for them? Because they're my team, and I always have. That's it. I mean, it's 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 insanity, uh, and so I. But it's what makes it fun. And so, like, it's so dumb. I know. Exa- Look, you're talking to somebody who has had highs with the Wizards, where I'm just like, it's completely unreasonable that I am this happy over a basketball game, and then. The other end of the spectrum, obviously, where it's like, it is not acceptable to be this upset about a team that I don't play for and I don't own. Um, and it's one of the dumbest things in the world. And it's part of what it's important to have people in your life who don't follow sports whatsoever. So you have that perspective and, and have them in the room who are just like, what are you doing? Like, you realize this is all really stupid, right? And um, it's. <laughs> It's always nice to have that reminder, but yeah, and so any fan who wants Beal around just because they feel a connection to him and want a reason to care about the regular season this year, that makes perfect sense to me. I just think the one thing that we sometimes underrate with fans is the, like, fans can have foresight, too, and see that this is just sort of, uh, that teams are making short-term fixes that will ultimately lower the ceiling in the long term. And then that can be really frustrating and lead to people detaching um, for different reasons. For sure. And one point that I will make before we wrap up is that I think, and I I never got the impression the Wizards did want to trade Bradley Beal this year, but I think it's possible uh, that if you were going to want to trade Bradley Beal eventually, the way you would play it was absolutely not trade him this year because I think the time where Bradley Beal might have the most value is shortly after free agency and shortly after Anthony Davis is traded if Anthony Davis gets traded. And so if you want to trade Bradley Beal and Anthony Davis doesn't get traded this summer because obviously there are reports out there that says New Orleans doesn't want to trade him. Uh, And if New Orleans, let's say, holds out the year with Davis or waits until – the trade deadline to trade him, you might wait on Beal too because there are going to be people who miss out on free agents. There are a lot of big-name free agents this year. There are more teams hoping to sign big-name free agents. Like There are more there are more spots for big-name free agents than there are actual free agents. And like Indiana in all likelihood isn't going to sign somebody, but they have tons of cap room. Utah in all likelihood isn't going to sign somebody, but they have tons of cap room. And then there are all the teams who are going to miss out on somebody Someone, there is either going to be an owner who says, you missed out on somebody, Bradley Beal is potentially being dangled, go make that happen, then you get a huge package for Bradley Beal, whether it's, you know, I know everyone wants to bring up the Lakers or somebody else. Maybe it's just a really good trade. Indiana has tons of cap room. You don't have to match salaries there, so it's not complicated. The Wizards get off a ton of money, and you can bring back one of their good young players. You bring back... Domas Sabonis and yeah. work out a deal where you bring back Miles Turner or whatever. Like you can you can do the same thing with Utah. Way under the cap, you don't have to worry about matching salaries. You bring back one of their good players. You do something with uh, with Denver and bring back a couple of their good players, and then you have Denver creates like a Jamal Murray, Bradley Beal, Nikola Jokic big three with like Jamal Murray who's going to shoot like crazy and two dudes that just kind of want to always make the right basketball play no matter what. Like. Those sorts of things would make sense. Bradley Beal would fit pretty much anywhere. And so what you do is you want to cap, you can just capitalize on teams' desperation. That desperation is going to come after they miss out on people, whether that's a free agent or whether that's Anthony Davis. And so if you want to wait on those chips to fall, I think you're going to maximize Beal's value. That's when the market's going to go up for him. Yeah, that would be my game plan. First of all, I would I would definitely need Jamal Murray in any Nuggets trade, and I think it would make sense from Denver's side to at least consider that. But um, but yeah, that the pocket that I'm envisioning is like July fifteenth area after a couple teams have struck out and embarrassed themselves and are feeling desperate and are willing to do something a little reckless. That's when the Wizards are going to be well-positioned to potentially capitalize if that's the direction they want to go. But I don't know, man. At the very end, do you think the Wizards will have a GM by July 15th? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) 
fingers crossed, you know. I think Your so. job will be easier, hopefully, in that I, scenario. I predicted them to have one before Memorial Day, and we're recording this two days after Memorial Day, and they don't have a GM, so I'm over well, one. <laughs> we'll see, but maybe we can talk in mid-July and, and revisit all of this. Yes, especially if they don't have somebody. I think they'll have somebody by July. I yeah. don't know oh. when, though. I, if you I'm, ask the timeline, I'm like, I'm not really sure. I'm kidding. They have to have somebody in place before the before at least before the draft. Although, who knows? Actually, I shouldn't. All bets are off. And you know what? And maybe maybe patience will end up being rewarded at some point. Maybe Masai will come through in mid-August, and this will all make sense. So we'll just have to see how it turns out. You know, the adventure continues. Yeah, I mean, look, in, in some ways, like, you do have to realize this is about the future of your franchise. So if if, if it means getting somebody great, then yeah. I understand the rationale to wait. But we'll see. Uh, plug your plug your awesome work before we go. Well, you can read me on Sports Illustrated. I will be covering the finals for the next two weeks. I've got some fun draft stuff planned as well. And um, you can listen to me twice a week on the Open Floor podcast. Uh, go search it on iTunes that I host with Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. And we have fun with everything. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking Wizards going forward. But again, I try to limit it. So I appreciate the uh, the excuse to talk about the Wiz for like an hour straight here. It's been nice. I'm glad I finally bugged you enough to, uh, to come on. Thank you for joining. Uh, if you are just randomly listening to this and you're not subscribed, you can subscribe to Wizards After Dark on iTunes. Uh, always always helps if you leave five stars. Write a review if you enjoy it. Um, that, that always helps with the podcast too. Uh, and uh, I'll be back. You know, Like I always say, if they hire somebody, I will do an emergency podcast at some point in the immediate aftermath of that after I get all my writing done and all that. Otherwise, uh, I'm still going to be doing once a week, and I'll be back uh, next week with another guest. I'll talk to you guys then. Thanks for listening.